City there. My name is David, and this is a podcast about cities and how they got to be where they are. So, you know, when you think about cities, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is probably geography. There's obviously economic considerations, there's the time in which cities developed. And mostly what I focus on is American cities. Certainly talk about foreign cities and the impact that they had on American cities, but American cities are very different than foreign cities. And I'm going to talk about some of those differences uh, throughout those series. Obviously, American cities are much newer and faced a whole different series of circumstances than places like London, which was founded during uh, the time of the Roman Empire, uh, Rome, obviously, and even cities like Amsterdam, which are almost a thousand years old. But if you think about what creates the conditions for a city, especially a larger city, I think if there's one factor, if there's one factor that people often turn to, it's a long river, right? You think about a long river. London is on the Thames. The Thames is one of the longest rivers in England, and London is at the point at which it was could, the river could most easily be crossed, hence London Bridge, and that's why the Romans set up there. Uh, they had originally, uh, the largest city in England at the time was actually Colchester, or at least what was then Britannia or whatever, you know, Whatever it was way back when. Um, but London had the connection to the sea. And it was protected from the sea, so you couldn't attack it because it was inland. But also, it was at a point at which the river could be crossed. And it was a major river. Paris is the same thing. The location of Paris, which is on the Seine, you know, one of France's major rivers. But it's well inland. And France, uh, Paris obviously is at the point where Ile de la Cité, where Notre Dame is, right in the middle of the river, which made it much easier to cross. Rome is in a similar situation on the Tiber. But if you look at American cities, not all of them are on long rivers. Some of them are. New York is, Philadelphia is, but not every major American city is on a long river. First example, think of Boston. Think of Boston is on the Charles. The Charles River makes it all the way to Hopkinton, Mass, which is where they start the Boston Marathon. So this is not even the Hudson, this isn't the Mississippi. Yet it's one of the most major cities in the country and really was, for a large part of the colonial period, the largest city in the country. Look at Los Angeles. Its second largest city in the country was founded along the L.A. River, which, like the Charles, stays in one metropolitan area. Houston, uh, Buffalo Bayou, uh, Seattle. Seattle is on the Duwamish River which also is basically a river that stays within its own metropolitan area. So we have all these examples of cities throughout America which are built on very short rivers. And you look at that and you say, well, that's a little strange. You know, I thought, why, why would you build a city like that when, you know, the pattern was always to have long rivers? And I think what you have to look at is to start with Boston. Think about the Puritans. The Puritans came to this country. 
and they built cities where they could fish. The, the Puritans were fishermen. Uh, if you look at every other group that was coming over, a lot of the English, uh, the Anglican English, the Dutch, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Germans who sort of came in afterwards, certainly the French, uh, the Catholic French, what they primarily came to do with this country was trade furs with Native Americans. That is why the Dutch set up a trading empire along the Hudson River, founding not just New York City, uh, but also Albany. Uh, they also founded what would become Hartford, Connecticut, up along on the you know, interior city uh, along the Connecticut River. Uh, the Puritans, if you think about Boston on this very short river, not only founded Boston, they founded Salem, Massachusetts. They founded New Haven, Connecticut. They founded little towns, uh, or uh, some which were going to be decent-sized towns, on little tiny rivers. And the reason is they weren't trading furs, they were selling fish back to the motherland. And not just any kinds of fish, but saltwater fish. And the result is if you want saltwater fish, you need to be in the ocean. Not only that, but if you look at the cities in Connecticut... Uh, like Old Saybrook. Old Saybrook sits at the intersection of the Connecticut River, the longest river in New England, and Long Island Sound. Now you would think, hey, that's going to be your spot for a city. And in fact, it never grew into anything much, and it's a town today of 10,000 people. Yale was actually founded in Old Saybrook. But the problem with Old Saybrook is it's on a big river. The Puritans had no need for a big river. They weren't going to trade furs. Rivers also have freshwater fish, and they weren't interested in selling freshwater fish. They sold uh, saltwater fish. So what happened was, was they actually picked up and moved down the coast by about 25 miles out to New Haven. Uh, New Haven was on, on a small river, the Quinnipiac, um, but had a much better harbor. And the fact that there wasn't a major river there didn't mean much to the Puritans. They didn't need a large river. And that's ultimately where Yale went. Some of the Puritans who were in uh, what became Old Saybrook actually ended up moving to Norwich, Connecticut, which they named after Norwich, England, which is where many of them came from in East Anglia. Norwich is on an estuary. Uh, the, but the fact that it was on estuary is great because the salinity of the water there was greater than it was around Old Saybrook up the river and hence had saltwater fish. And this business of, of you know, building a, a, much of their economy around saltwater fishing and they didn't need long rivers. In fact, long rivers were a hindrance because they brought their fresh water. And in fact, if the further west you go into Connecticut, you don't have uh, the, the water actually the salinity drops because you, you start plugging more and more fresh water in Long Island Sound the further west you go towards New York. So what was kind of interesting is you now have these cities uh, starting to be built on short rivers. And because ocean trade was so important, you know, Boston grew dramatically. And initially it, went, it wasn't a hindrance at all. Uh, the fact that it didn't, but didn't send a major river. Then saw this pattern where sort of, you know, not just from the Puritans, but later who would really, people who would become Americans uh, when Los Angeles, uh, technically was obviously founded by uh, Spanish ranchos, but, at, but basically the river there was not used for transportation. Uh, the river there was used for irrigation. Uh, Los Angeles started as a Pueblo where basically agricultural, in fact, right after it became part of the United States, around 1850, uh, it was a major, so it became a fairly major wine-growing region. There was no Napa in Sonoma then, 
So San Francisco, especially into 1860, 1870, San Francisco was still a much bigger city than L.A., and it got its wine from L.A. And then L.A. ultimately turned to oranges and other produce. So what's, what was kind of interesting is if you say, where, where does a city go? What are the conditions for a city? The idea that you need a long river, especially is not really true. It certainly was behind Philly, uh, obviously New York, and um, St. Louis, um, Cincinnati. But, you know, you look at Cleveland even uh, on the Cuyahoga. It's not a particularly major river. Chicago is only on the Chicago River and obviously became a large city due to trains. And that wasn't really as much of an issue in, uh, in Europe where the cities were more established. So when we start looking again at American cities, as I said earlier, we're looking at American cities. Uh, the traits started to were very different than the kind of cities that would flourish in Europe. And geographically, this was one of the defining features that you'd have places like Boston, L.A., Miami, Chicago, Seattle, that aren't on long rivers at all, uh, which it was very different. And you generally don't see that anywhere near as much uh, in Europe or you know, elsewhere in the world. So that's a story about short rivers. Uh, if you go to my Medium site, I have an article uh, about why Puritans built cities on short rivers, and I talk a little bit more about this and give some other examples. Um, one other thing I'd like to discuss in this first episode is we talked about what was driving city growth hundreds of years ago when we talk about these short rivers. But one of the things I've noticed recently is modern cities. And there's a very interesting fact that came out. So the Census Bureau released its 2019 population estimates about a month ago. The fastest growing metro area in the United States is Dallas-Fort Worth at about 117,000 people uh, for the year. That is no longer the fastest uh, in North America. That title is now held by Toronto. Toronto it grew, added 139,000 people uh, in a similar period as measured by Statistics Canada. So this is kind of weird. Here's Toronto. Now think about where Toronto is. It's on Lake Ontario right in the middle of the Great Lakes, does not have a nice climate. And here it is, growing faster than any metro in the United States. You know, it's in a country that's one-ninth the size of, of the U.S. And think about the U.S. cities that are nearby, Buffalo, Detroit, Cleveland, some of the cities that have struggled the most uh, post-industrial age and uh, are all losing metro area population. And here are our struggling Rust Belt cities. And right nearby, here's Toronto. And you know, what does Toronto have? Well, obviously, it's the Canadian financial capital, uh, Canadian business capital. Toronto benefited greatly from the Quebecois uh, secessionist movement, which pushed, moved a lot of Canada's businesses out of Montreal and into Toronto. Um, but what's interesting is, is that it's growing faster than anywhere in this country. And you give it a long enough, it's about 6 million people plus give it 20, 15 years or so, it could surpass Chicago in terms of size. And what does Toronto have? Well, it's in Canada. And in the last year, 300,000 people immigrated to Canada. That's half as many as the entire U.S. And the Trudeau administration had a fairly open policy on immigration. Well, obviously, we have not under Trump. So you can say 
immigration's good, you might be opposed to it, but it's creating a very interesting situation here where we have a metro area just over our border that is growing by leaps and bounds in a nearer region of this country that is struggling. And a lot of it is because they're able to pull in so many immigrants. They attracted 105,000 immigrants over the last 12 months to Metro Toronto, or the Toronto CMA, as Statistics Canada calls it. No U.S. Metro got more than 58,000. That was Miami, Fort Lauderdale. New York was right about the same. So it got nearly twice as many immigrants as any U.S. Metro. And you have to think about the fact the United States, more so than most economies, depends on consumer spending. Uh, Almost 70% of our economy is consumer spending. So it's hard to have a consumer an economy based on consumer spending if you don't have consumers. And it's a very interesting case of what's going on in Toronto where they're pulling in plenty of new consumers. Meanwhile, a lot of our cities that could benefit from this are not. And I think ultimately, this is not something, uh, this is going to have to be addressed. I try not to get too political and think more about the facts and the figures and the the economics, but this is an issue uh, that is really going to is impacting the growth and the economic health of our Rust Belt cities. And if Toronto can grow at this level and attract over one hundred thousand immigrants in one year, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, they might not be able to attract one hundred thousand. They're not the financial capitals of the country like Toronto is, but certainly they could at least level off uh, their population declines. And it's important to remember these regions now are declining at a metro level, not just a city level. So, I mean, that's my first edition. Uh, I hope this is interesting. And look out for more episodes where we will talk about why there is a city there. (laughs) 